you guys for coming. Uh, if you came in uh, late, uh, we're so grateful and uh, glad to be part of worship together. And thank you for being part of the church as we come to worship. Uh, for those who came in late, Kim Edwards and Cynthia Schaefer were leading us in worship, and they'll continue to do that as we, on the back end of our, uh, after we hear the word. Uh, Kim is a recording artist. I didn't introduce her properly, but she's a recording artist. Her new album, Wanderlust, has come out, and she, we're actually the first stop on her tour. She hit uh, top 25 status on iTunes this week, and um, really blessed and, and privileged because we know not only her music, but she's become a friend of our church and a friend of our ministry and are really uh, grateful for her life and for um, the opportunities that we have to be able to, to uh, share in this weekend together. And she's brought her cellist, uh, Cynthia, also um, just a, a wonderfully musically talented, but also a, you know, her heart shines through in, in, in what she does. And so they're going to be around afterwards. Please talk to them. CDs will be um, out on the back table as you walk out of here. So um, talk to them. They'd love to, uh, love to get to hear more of your story as well. And today we are um, really, really blessed to be able to hear from uh, Scott Murray. He is um, the father of the family who is serving in Hiroshima, Japan. They've been out there part of a church planting movement, um, and they've been doing some great things out there. If you get, ever get to read their newsletters, it's informative, but it's also very funny. They talk about some of the cultural problems that they've experienced as they try and live as Americans in foreign soil, um, but also just seeing how the gospel is moving and working in children and through um, teaching English and through different outreaches. And um, I think three churches have been planted out of um, the ministry and out of the churches that they're involved with. Um, he's here with his daughters, uh, Sydney and Taylor. Um, they are twins, if you can't tell. Um, their mother, Susan, was unable to join us. She really wanted to. And I think today's her birthday, right? We, we really wanted to celebrate her birthday together. Uh, maybe we can uh, record it somehow and then send it to her. Um, but her mother um, is um, dealing with stage four bone cancer. And so um, as much as she wanted to be with us, um, she wanted to be with her mother, needed to be with her mother. And so um, let's continue to, to pray for um, their family and the ministry they're doing. But uh, the gospel is going forth in Japan amongst hard places and amongst hard hearts. Jesus is doing great things through the Murray family and their team um, that's out there. And so I'm really excited to hear the word that he would share with us and, and the things that are going on in Japan. So let's welcome Scott as he comes to share with us. Wow, what a privilege to be with you all today. Uh, several years ago, when we were in on home assignment, I guess it was two years ago, we drove past the building, and we got to see the outside. But now we get to see the inside, and, and more so get to be with you and uh, commune together with you. And what a, what a privilege it is for us to, to do that. We so appreciate your prayers and your support for our family as we serve in Japan. And, and even on home assignment, uh, we sense that uh, you're praying as well as we go through a little bit of a journey uh, with uh, Susan's mother having stage four bone cancer. We don't know the timing and all that. That's in God's hands, but we really sense God's presence, and we uh, sense the, the prayers of his people going with us right now. And so we, we just appreciate uh, your prayers and support for us in that way. When I first arrived in Japan, I was probably only there for about two weeks when I went to... Uh, like a shopping center one morning. I had gone out to breakfast with one of my friends. He's a Japanese guy. He speaks English. When I went to Japan, I had zero language, and uh, I, I couldn't understand the simplest things. We started language once we arrived there. 
And I remember we had eaten breakfast, my friend and I, and he had to run to the restroom. And so I was standing there just, just watching. You know, everything was just new to me. It's the first time I'd, I'd lived in Asia for like two weeks. And uh, this, this guy walked up to me, and, and, and he was an older man, and he kind of stepped kind of what I would consider my, my comfort zone, you know, my, my personal space. So I, I remember he stepped up, and, and I stepped back. And he stepped up, and I stepped back, and I, I couldn't go back any further. And he looked up at me, and his eyes were right in my eyes. He was right about here. And I, I had to have this horrid look on my face. <laughs> and he said, I love you. And I, I tried to take another step back. I, I didn't know what to do. And, and he got a little closer, and he said it again. He said, I love you. And, and I just didn't know what to do. And, and by this time, I know I, I just looked like I wanted to run and escape. And suddenly this lady came up, and she didn't have much English, but she could tell I was really uncomfortable. I was giving off really bad vibes at this point. And, uh, and she came up, and she started talking to him. I had no clue what they were saying. And all of a sudden, she looked at me, and she said, he, he loved American movies. And it's the only word he can remember. <laughs> I was relieved. <laughs> then I'm thinking, wow, I've been a missionary for two weeks, and they love me. <laughs> this is, this is going to work out. <laughs> well, I wanted to start by introducing uh, Susan to you. She couldn't be here today, but there's her picture. And this was a picture that was taken just a, a couple of months ago. And there's Sydney and Taylor. As uh, Dio mentioned, they're twins. Uh, they were actually, I was telling them this morning, they were preemies. They were born three, uh, three months early, and they were about just a little bit over two pounds. And that's a it's a miracle birth story, but that's another whole story. I don't have time for that this morning. Uh, but we are, we are so thankful that God has put us together as a family, and God uh, gave us children, which we didn't know if we were going to be able to have children, but he's blessed us. We serve in Hiroshima, Japan. Here's a picture of Japan. You can see uh, Hiroshima circled there at the bottom. And uh, we have lived there for four years, and God's given us an amazing opportunity. I want to talk a little bit about how we got there. Uh, I was serving in pastoral ministry for 12 years, and I served for five years in Ohio, and then God brought us down to the Clearwater, Florida area. And when he brought us down to Clearwater, I prayed that God would keep us in that church for a long time, because I just know that sometimes it takes a long time to make relationships with people and to really have a, a fruitful ministry. And that was my prayer that God would keep us there, never knowing that uh, God would uh, be, be taking us to Japan. How did that happen? While we were uh, while we were attending a church in Ohio, even before I went into pastoral ministry, early in the 1990s, I met this guy that was Japanese, and his wife was American, and he had just become a Christian, and uh, they were married, and uh, they started going to our church, and I wasn't even on staff at that time, but I just began. I, I had this this heart to see him grow in his faith. And there weren't a lot of young people in the church at that time. So we started meeting together like every Friday night. And we, we just discipled the both of them together. And after a few years, they, they moved uh, to Japan. They wanted to reach out and uh, share the gospel with his parents. It's the first time he ever heard the gospel through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ when he came to get his master's degree at Ohio University. 
And so he had a heart to share the gospel with his parents. So they moved back and they were only going to be back there for two years. Well, at the end of that two years, we got a phone call and said, can you come to Japan? I was like, okay. (laughs) He said, it looks like we're going to be staying in Japan longer. My wife doesn't know any language yet because she thought she was coming back to the States and she's pregnant and things are not going well. <laughs> would, you, would you come help us? So we, my wife and I, as before we had children, went in about 1996 and we spent two weeks just trying to encourage and minister to them. And then uh, in 2006, like it was 2007, God took us back to Japan and uh, we wanted to go just visit them. They had had children. And uh, so our goal was just to go back and, and first of all, visit. But then we saw that God was doing some pretty amazing things in the way he was preparing us to go. So we said, you know, this just isn't just a visit. We want to make this a family mission trip. So in uh, March of 2007, we went as a family and we just went to encourage. Our goal was just to encourage the families and to serve however we could. And it was during that trip that God put us in touch with two amazing Japanese pastors who shared just their vision for English ministry and how English ministry can be such uh, an evangelistic outreach in Japan. And they said, would you just pray? Would you pray for someone to, to come to Japan to do English ministry? And I said, sure, I'll pray for someone else. <laughs> you know, it's not that I was opposed to missions. It's just that, you know, I just really believe that God had me in pastoral ministry, but as we left Japan and as we got on that plane, I have to admit, my heart was stirred. <laughs> Boy, I, I was surprised at how much Japan was on my mind. And as Susan went back, her heart was stirred. But we didn't really talk about it because, like, we had, our, we had our plan, you know, we had our, our goals. And finally, in about November of 2007, I, no, this was 2006, I'm sorry, November 2006, we had a really serious conversation. And that serious conversation uh, had us both confess that God was really pulling on our heart for Japan. And as we began to pray about this together, we realized it was more than just a a nudge, that it was a call to go to Japan. So I, I, um, in January, I stepped down from my job. Well, I I turned in my resignation as of the summer. I wanted to give them plenty of time to find another pastor to replace me. And uh, we started our partnership uh, uh, development process. We actually contacted pioneers and talked with mobilization, and we were just amazed. Um, we were looking for an agency that would partner with us in a very unique way because we were going to a country where we knew exactly where we wanted, where God was calling us to serve, and who we were supposed to serve with. And uh, and pioneers was just amazing uh, when we found them. We were just we felt at home with them. So we have the privilege of serving with uh, some pastors. This is Pastor Haitaka. Pastor Haitaka actually 25 years ago was sent as an in-country missionary, he's Japanese, from Tokyo down to Hiroshima. And he was sent to start a church there. As many of you know, Hiroshima was bombed in World War II uh, by, by the Americans. And uh, the, the country, that, that city was pretty much uh, devastated because of that. At that point, when he went 25 years ago, there wasn't a lot of Christian activity happening. One of the uh, fairly known facts is that Hiroshima, uh, after World War II, General MacArthur asked for 2,000 missionaries to go to Japan. 
and uh, and and 2,000 missionaries did go to Japan. But one of the facts that's not well known is that none of those American missionaries were allowed to go into Hiroshima because of the radiation and because of the hatred toward Americans. Hiroshima was not impacted by that, what they call one of the first waves of Christianity. And so um, Hiroshima is a little bit different than, than some of the other cities there. Uh, but Pastor Itaka came 25 years ago. He had this, this, this burden to start not just a church, but a church planting movement. His, his, his vision was much broader. And so about 12 years ago, Pastor Hitaka's church, Koyo Chapel, uh, started this church, which is Kabe Chapel, with uh, Pastor Kitano. And they, they, they sent out people. They raised the funds. In fact, they even sent Pastor Kitano to the States, to Trinity uh, Seminary, to do his seminary work. Uh, just, and you're talking a, a population, a, a group of people less than 100 uh, did this and, and, and uh, raised the funds to start this second church. And so um, then uh, we, we have this unique uh, partnership with, with these churches. So when we first came, we had three goals in mind. The first one, and we, we, we used the, the visual picture of bridges. And the first bridge, these are older pictures, the first bridge was... Uh, and to use our home. We just wanted to open up our home in any unique way. And that would mean to, to having people over to our home, to mission trips. That was one of the bridges that we sensed God was really using uh, for us to reach out to the Japanese people. The second bridge were English classes. And uh, as many of you know, this is, this is a popular thing in missions. But in Japan, it truly is an amazing outreach opportunity. I was talking with Pastor Hitaka, the, sen- the older pastor, the senior pastor, uh, a-, a few months ago. And, and he, had- he shared with me, he said, right now, every single one of our seekers who's really studying the Bible has come through English ministry. It provides this amazing opportunity to reach out to people. So that was our second bridge. And our third bridge was to start a bilingual service. Their goal was for those two churches to work together to plant a new church. And, um, and as part of that church, to have an English ministry, much like you, you do right here. Um, we will be having an, an English outreach service. And our target in, in Japan, now our target is really English-speaking Japanese. Our target is not an international focus. We're, we're not going to push away internationals, but that's not who we're after. We're after English-speaking Japanese people. One of the main targets are the, uh, those that have lived internationally and then now have come back to Japan because when they, when they leave Japan, they're, they're, their minds are open somewhat and they're changed. And when they come back, they have a hard time finding a place to fit. And we can provide that place, I think, by this bilingual service that we're really praying. And that's one of our targets is returning Japanese uh, people. And so I, I am thrilled to tell you, I want to introduce to you this, this church here. This is actually the third church plant, and they will be starting services next week. They already have a Japanese pastor. So um, with, while, while we have been there, we've been able to work with these two churches, and we see a new church plant starting in Asamanamiku, which is part of Hiroshima, uh, a, a an area of 220,000 people. 
that has about four evangelical churches with an average of 26 people each. Uh, so it, it's a target area. It's, a, it's an amazing uh, area for us to reach out to. And so, uh, you know, we, we appreciate your prayer in that, and uh, we're excited just to be used of God. Now, let's, let's go to the next. That's my blank. Okay, that's my, my cue that that's, that part's over. So I wanted to just give you a little bit of an introduction. I'm going to be talking more next hour, uh, giving more of an update of what we're doing specifically um, but here's, here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to, to begin by um, sharing this, this script, today's scripture and uh, just introduce the, the message. But then I'm going to talk a little bit more about Japan, uh, but then I'm going I'm to apply the, the scripture to all of us. So before we do that, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, as we're here today, we are cognizant of the fact that today is a special day, Palm Sunday. But more so, it's special because of who you are. Lord, we are here to glorify you. Apart from what you've done for us, which is so much, Lord, you deserve our glory and our honor and our praise. And so, Lord, today as we as we meet together, that's our first agenda is that you would be glorified and honored and praised. But second to that fact, as we delve into your word, I pray that we would be encouraged and our hearts would be stirred with the message that you have for us this morning. Lord, I, I commit this morning to you and pray that the words of my mouth uh, would be pleasing to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I took this picture several months ago. I had an opportunity to go to the area that was uh, devastated by the tsunami. This was just a few weeks ago in the city of Onagawa. This particular city was one of the, the hardest hit areas by a tsunami because, because of the topography of the land. The tsunami was about uh, between 66 to 100 feet high. And it just, it just devastated this area. And I remember uh, just standing there, and I took several pictures. And all of a sudden, I, I took the, a picture, and I couldn't take another picture. I just had my fill. I, I just, as I looked through the lens, I was just overwhelmed at what I saw. The devastation, as far as I could see, everything was either gone or destroyed. And, um, and I, I was thinking, wow, how do you have hope? in a situation like this. A couple of, um, I guess it was just maybe the beginning of this week or the end of last week, my wife was at her hairdresser's. I wasn't at the hairdresser. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> but she, it's a hairdresser that, this, you know, we met her at our church years ago, and she's been a Christian for a long time, and she said, I'm really disappointed with God. She was being honest. She said, my life hasn't turned out the way I thought it would. Issues with my kids haven't turned out like I thought they would. And I'm just really disappointed. And, um, and, and as Susan was sharing this story with me, I could just hear the sadness. And I thought, wow, she's, she's lost hope. She's lost hope. Many of us struggle with maintaining hope. Maybe... Maybe some of you have lost someone, lost a spouse or lost a relative or, or lost a close friend. Maybe there's a marriage in crisis. 
um, or a, a, just a bad marriage or a spouse is threatening to leave you. Maybe, maybe it's a loved one who's dying, who's close to you. Maybe it's a situation where you can't find a job, you've been looking for a long time. It could be financial crisis. Maybe you're trying to make decisions on how to handle an aging parent or an aging relative. Or maybe you're just in a job and you're just stuck. You don't really want to be there, but this isn't the time to branch out. You're just, just kind of looking for something you aspire for, something different. Maybe a situation that, that I haven't even mentioned, um, but you're in the midst of that situation. I want you to realize that every situation that I mentioned this morning goes back to a particular person that I know or our own family. All those situations are, are people that, that I know are going through crises. Um, but you find yourself in that struggle and you're really struggling to have hope. You know, we live in a country, uh, our family does, that struggles to have hope. Many people look at Japan, it's the number three economy in the world. They just got bumped from number two. Uh, most people have a middle-class existence, but I don't think I've ever been in a place where I felt such a sense of hopelessness. When, when we went to Japan on that, that, mission, that family mission trip, uh, we were, we were, we were in a, a teacher's meeting with the junior and senior high teachers. And they, they were talking in Japanese, and I couldn't understand any of it. And suddenly they looked at me, and my friend, who speaks Japanese and English, he said, they would like you to teach a, a lesson. I said, well, you know, I'd, I, I would be glad to do that sometime. And they, I said, what's the lesson? You know, is there a, a particular lesson? He said, yeah. He said, recently they've done a survey of families in Asian countries. And one of the survey questions was, is family a priority? And in Japan, family was not one of the top five priorities in, in their culture. And they were jarred. These, the Christians were jarred. They were just so surprised by this, the, by this survey. And they said, and so my friend said, I want you, they want you to, to teach a lesson on uh, the family. I said, well, you know, I'd be glad to do that sometime. When, when would they like me to do it? They said, in five minutes. Like, and then God just brought this, this message to me. He said, you said that any opportunity that you would do, you would be willing to do. Are you willing to trust me for this one? And I went, wow, that's a big one. I said I'd trust you, but this is a really hard one. <laughs> well, they, they sang two songs, and I've never experienced anything like this before in my life. I sat down with a, a like this uh, memo pad, and, and I remember thinking, the only thing that I can think of as family is I have one. That's all I've got. And I said, even translated, that's not really going to take very long. <laughs> and I sat down, and as they started singing the songs, the Lord actually downloaded a sermon. And the, the sermon points were in order with scripture that I never looked up and illustrations. I've never had anything like that happen to me in the past. And it just, it just came together. And I was able to, to speak that morning. God's words, because like I told you, all I had was I have a family. 
And, uh, but Japan is a place of hopelessness. Let me, let me talk about some of the reasons why uh, there's, there's such a sense of, of hopelessness. One of those reasons is, is families. Families are, um, are really struggling there because they're, the, the families are going in so many different directions because of some other pressures. One of those is work. Um, as you know, many Asian cultures, the, the, the work ethic is, is very high, and that is true in Japan. Japan has amazing customer service, and the products that they put out are amazing. But what I see, the pressure of the people that they're put under at work, the long hours that they worked. We had one guy in our church who worked like till 10 or 11 o'clock every night, six days a week. He tried to go to church on Sundays, but sometimes he just collapsed. There's a tremendous amount of pressure. And the only time that they really get holidays is when there's a plant shutdown or when there's a national holiday. So picture when you have vacation, everybody else in Japan has vacation. It's crazy. We don't even leave our house because the roads are crowded. Everything's crowded. That's the kind of environment that they're in. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure in school. Uh, there's, there's pressures that are put on these uh, children because early on they go to school, then they go to study school, they go to club activities. The kids are often out till 10 or 11 o'clock at night doing school because after school they go to study school. And there's, there's pressure on exams that they have to pass starting in like uh, to get into seventh grade. And sometimes their whole future is determined by that seventh grade exam. There's pressures in religion. Now, this is an interesting picture, isn't it? I took this picture on my iPhone. This is a, a modern-day picture of just a, a typical site in Japan at one of the shrines. Um, can we go to the next one? This, th- these are actually prayer request charms. You can see there's prices on each one of these. And, and you go to these temples and you choose these things and you pay the money. And then you're, what you're doing is you're asking the, the Buddhist priest to, to pray for that, for that specific request. Sometimes you can write the request on the back. Um, and and we, asked, we asked people who go there, do you really, do you really believe this? And they said, no, but we're kind of afraid not to because it's such a part of our culture. Next slide, please. Here's just the, there's where you, you, you put the money and buy some more charms. Next one, please. Now, you see this here? We don't have the sound, but this is an actual ceremony. There's a couple there that are actually, they went to the Buddhist priest and they're, 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 the Buddhist priest is doing a dance with a virgin who's doing a dance, trying to, yeah, here, there you hear it. They're doing a dance, going to the gods and, and praying to the gods. Now, when they, when, they, when they go to God to pray, one of the first things, maybe you've seen this before, is they ring a bell and they clap, and they clap to wake up the gods. Um, next slide. This is a this is a home altar for a Buddhist, and m- most of the people have these in their home. You know, when I when I grew up and I was learning and and reading in the Bible about idolatry, I I was thinking, well, yeah, maybe some people worship their cars or something. You know, I I was my American mindset of idolatry, 
Never could I believe that there are people that, that they worship these little figures. They have idols in their homes. This is one for the, the Shinto faith here called a Kamidama. And uh, those are the particular home altars that they have. Um, but I, I think their real God is this one. Um, oh, I missed a slide. Can you go, can you go one in advance? Go, go the next one, the next one. Yeah, this one materialism. Now, this is an interesting picture. Do you see that the, the pinpoint there that shows Koyo Chapel and there's this little beige building? Can you see it? It's really hard to see. It's really hard to pick up. I think if you hit it, an arrow will come down. It's right there. Okay. Now, hit it again. This is a pachinko. That's a gambling parlor. Okay. I want you to see the size of those. Because when I when I saw when I started going to the church and I saw the size that, and the, and that's the parking for the pachinko we we rent like four spaces um, we have to pay a lot of money for for the church and then the rest of the parking's way down here we have to walk and there's a few spots there and we're cramped but this this shows kind of the values this this to me was such a picture of the values seeing this is the this is the gambling parlor and that's the size of the church but I think that. Really, Japan has come to, to worship materialism. But yet, as I, as I look at people, there's this hole in their heart. They are not happy. They have, most of them have, they're living financially fairly comfortable, but they're not happy. Okay, now, can we go back to that? Uh, yeah, that one there. It, it, for the Japanese people, their whole life cycle is built around the, 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 the culture, the religious culture of Buddhism and Shintoism. At birth, they're, they're blessed in, in the Shinto shrine. Then at ages three, five, and seven, they have a blessing, but that's, again, tied to their religious backgrounds. When they're eight, at age 20, they have a coming-of-age ceremony, which is, again, tied into the, the religious background. When they're married, most of the time, people have a Shinto blessing, and when they die, they have a Buddhist funeral. But you know what's come popular now? A Christian wedding. Now, it's not, it's not like Christian, like, they're not Christians, but it's kind of like the Western traditional wedding. So there's this whole mix. It's, it's all mixed together. Let's go to the next one there. I, there the yearly cycle, New Year's, there's, there's, they go to this, the shrine. They, they ask for blessings from the gods for that year for health. Then the, the coming of age is January 20th. That's when they're 20 years old. They become adults, and that's a whole other ceremony at the shrine. Satsuban is a is a yearly cycle where they're asking for God the the demons to go away. They throw beans and they're they're trying to chase away the demons so that they have good health for the year. Uh, they visit graves. Each one of these things, each one of this, the yearly cycle is tied to a religious holiday. So even just their regular existence goes back to some of those traditional things. I just recently read. You can go to the next slide and then the next one. I just I'm I'm reading this book right now called The Secrets of Monaco, and uh, what the author is doing is is the author is is uh, interviewing this Japanese woman, and and then from her life she interviews all these people, and there's a couple quotes I'd like to share with you. It's really interesting because it, it takes you inside the mind of a, a I think a, a fairly typical Japanese person. Monaco, like most Japanese, did not consider herself particularly religious. Although she believed that souls live on, she said she did not believe in God. And like most people in the country, she casually mixed Buddhism and the native religion Shinto, depending on the occasion. 
She had been blessed as an infant at a Shinto shrine and married in Shinto rites, but her funeral would include the Buddhist ritual of Shoko, in which mourners hold a pinch of incense ash to their foreheads, then offer silent prayers. Every New Year's Eve, Mariko went, uh, took a five-minute walk to the neighborhood Buddhist temple where she rang the bell to usher in a new year. I asked to whom she prayed at the shrine if she did not believe in God. I go there, but I don't have a strong consciousness that God is there, she said. Maybe unconsciously I go because I want to ensure that the whole family will be in good health. That doesn't, that doesn't ring with me. Who gives good health? I mean, but she's, she's confused, but that's not a problem uh, for her thinking. Maybe somewhere in my heart I believe in the existence of a God, but I don't depend on him. Do you, do you see what a hopeless life there is without anyone to draw into or pull into, without anyone to depend on? Um, I'm afraid if I don't do that, the New Year's rituals, maybe I'll be punished, she said. So maybe I might believe in a God. This is just part of the hopelessness of the Japanese people. Um, and it makes them one, one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. I was shocked to hear that. I was shocked to hear that. I always thought of the Japanese people as being so advanced, and they are in technology, and self-sufficient, and they are, and financially astute, yeah, the number three economy in the world. But yet there's great need but you know, in and amongst us today, there's also great need. And many times we struggle with a lack of hope. So this morning, what I'd like to do in the last remaining few minutes that I have is I'd like to, to talk about what the Bible says about hope. So if you turn in your Bibles to Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 13, and I'm going to also have it up here on the screen. So you're welcome to look at your Bible or at the screen. Second uh, Thess- Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So what does the Bible say about hope? Well, first of all, I want to give you a little background of this situation. And I'm not going to spend much time on the background because there's we could, that in itself could be a sermon. But basically, the situation that the uh, Thessalonian church found themselves in is that they, they thought that the end times had already begun and God had missed them. God had, had passed them by. And the problem was that they really had a wrong belief or what I would call a wrong theology. And that wrong theology led them to a wrong conclusion. That wrong conclusion upset them and caused them fear and alarm, stifling their hope. How many times have you found yourself in a situation where you're struggling to have hope? You just, you just feel like uh, 
the other day we, we wanted a bike ride and somebody lent us some bikes and I went over to, to get one of the bikes and I felt the tire and there was nothing there. Did you ever have that feeling where just like a tire, all the air just went out and you had nothing, you had no hope? It may be a small thing at the time, but it seems like a big thing. Or it may be a big situation that seems pretty overwhelming and you don't know how to handle it, like some of the issues that I began with. Well, this is where the Thessalonians found themselves. They were enduring all kinds of challenges. Life did not look good. They were struggling with persecution, and they just looked up and said, God must have passed us on. We, we have no hope. Had God's judgment actually began and they were part of God's judgment? Had God turned his back on them? Most of us would rarely say aloud that we think that God has turned his back on us. But don't we think it sometimes? Don't, aren't, we, aren't we tempted to believe that at sometimes? Well, Paul's response beginning in 13 was to begin correcting their thinking, pointing them back to truth, which would then give them hope. So let's spend a few minutes looking at what he reminded them of. First, he calls them brothers. Can you hit that one more time? Brothers. And uh, by saying brothers, that, was, that, that term brothers was very much a Greek kind of family word. Wow, we could, we could just talk about that one term today and just realize that in the midst of challenges, here's Paul, and he says, brothers, you are my brother. You, 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 someone else cares about you. This is, a, this is a family issue. But he goes on to say, um, he says, brothers that are loved. Brothers beloved by the Lord. He reminds them, that the Lord loves them. And this love is a much deeper love. This isn't just like we casually say, I love you. I love it. Just like the guy said to me. That was really not very casual. <laughs> but there was something to this love. And it reminded me of the passage in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were in the depths of sin, even though we had turned our back on God. If you're here today, you have a relationship with Christ. This kind of love you have met. You, you were once a person who had turned your back on God. I was once a person who had turned our back on God. But during that time, because of his great love, which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is the kind of love we celebrate. This is a deep love. This is a love. Did you ever have somebody that did something just dreadfully terrible to you or nasty or said something? I'm sure that none of you had that, right? Is your first tendency to say, I'm just going to love that person? If it is, you are, you are farther along than I am. Because usually my first tendency is, how can I get back at them? What can I say to them? And, and, then, and then God speaks truth into me and says, no, that's not, that's, not how, that's not how the Lord, that's not how I dealt with you. You are loved. And that love is an unconditional, never-ending, never-stopping, never-changing, deep love that we, at this point, can't even fathom in our minds. And, and Paul's going back to remind the Thessalonians who are struggling with this hope, brothers, you, brothers and sisters, you're loved. 
God loves you. Wow, if that doesn't give us hope, what will? But he goes on. And he says, um, not only are you beloved of the Lord, but God chose you. That word chose actually goes back to uh, the meaning of the, the Greek term can talk about like adoption for a certain purpose. He, he chose you. I want, I want you to picture this, uh, this, this basket of apples. Say I'm holding this basket of apples and, and you're looking at the apples and, and you, you pick one up and, and, and it's, a, it's a nice apple and then you see this other apple and it's kind of bruised. Would most of us go over to the bruised apple and say, yeah, that one looks like a good one there. I think I'll just bite right into that. We have these apples in Japan. Have you ever seen a Japanese apple? I don't, I don't know what the apples are like in Korea. I, I haven't seen them. But these, these apples in Japan, they're, they're like this big. They cost like 2 or $3. But they're perfect. I mean, they're like perfectly round and perfectly red. And when you bite into it, it is crisp. It, it, it is like, this is, I, I'm eating this apple saying, this is an apple. I've never had anything like this before. It's amazing. But God walks up to the apples and he sees this bruised one us and he says I, I, I want this one I, I want this one I want this bruised apple I want this because you see he he, he finds us he, he chooses us when we are nothing and and he turns us into something he turns us into something beautiful apart from our own ability he does something in us that's that's kind of like uh, Paul was going back to the Thessalonians saying, not only did God love you, he chose you. He was very specific. I think probably we all struggle sometimes with, with uh, our own abilities. I, I do. Sometimes I ask myself, why in the world did God take me to Japan? I'm really struggling with the language. It's a hard language. I'm really struggling. I'm like, I can bear I can hold these simple conversations now and and we have we have um Korean American teammates and I'm really mad at one of them cuz she's really gifted. <laughs> no, I'm not mad, I'm kidding. I'm happy. She's gifted. She's come in and started speaking. For me it's been hard. It's been one of the hardest things. I think that one of my um one of my spiritual gifts has always been encouragement. I love. I used to love when I was a pastor in the churches to get together with guys that were hurting and to encourage them. But when I've gone to Japan, I haven't been able to exercise that gift as much because of the language barrier. And I've struggled with that. But yet, uh, God chose me for a specific purpose. And I know what he's doing is he's changing. He's changing me. He's making, he's drawing my heart. I think he's saying to me, are you really going to trust me? Are you going to trust me even when things are hard? Because I chose you and I've taken you there for a purpose. And it's amazing to me how God uses us in Japan. Even though we struggle with the language and we're, we're learning the culture, we've learned to love the people. But yet God's using us. And I look back and I can't figure out how. And it's because it's not us. It's what he's doing in us. And that's the message that Paul was trying to get to the Thessalonian Christians. Christians at Thessalonica, he was saying, God has chosen you. 
What a message of hope, huh? Not only that, the next one, he's chosen you because God chose you as first fruits to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from God's wrath and God's judgment. You, if you are here and you're a Christian today, you have been chosen. You, you have been chosen to be saved from God's wrath and judgment, and God has a completely different plan for you. Wow. Pretty encouraging, huh? And how did that happen? It happened. Next slide. Well, it was through sanctification. This is a process where God sets us apart. He's, he's purifying us. He is making us pure. Now, obviously, it's a, it's a journey. It's not like he just takes us aside and says, I'm going to make you perfect. It's something that we journey with him in that process. But, but Paul is reminding these Thessalonian Christians, God has not only chose you, he saved you, he has set you apart, he is wanting to purify you, he is wanting to make you holy. Next slide. And he's done it through the gospel. Wow, doesn't that ring true, especially today as we're thinking about Palm Sunday? As we're thinking about the day, as uh, D.L. Was, was sharing, that Jesus got on that, the donkey and was riding into the town. But he knew what was coming. He knew that in, uh, in a short time, he was going to be offering up his life willingly. And that's what it's all about. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's the basis of everything that as a Christian, it's, it's what brings us that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the gospel. It's good news, but it's when Jesus laid down his, uh, his, his life for us. And it's through the gospel. Why? So that you may obtain the glory of God. God wants you to experience his glory. I, I can't even fathom it. I think of Moses when, when he said, God, can I see your glory? And, and God says, you, you couldn't even handle that. You, 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 you would die. But he says, I'll, I'll, I'll show you my back. And he, and he whips in front of him. And Moses from that day is changed forever. His countenance is changed. God wants you and I as Christians. He's telling this to the, Thessalonica, the church of Thessalonica. He's saying, You have been chosen. I have chosen to save you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And and it's so that you can experience God's glory. And that's true of us today as well. This gospel. Now, let me review here. I'm going to need a little participation, okay? Because if you don't participate, this isn't going to go well. So I want to review the main ideas. We are loved. Who loves us? Okay, good. That's a good start. It's a little weak, but I'm feeling more encouraged. We are chosen us. Who, who chose us? We are saved. Who saved us? We are called. Who calls us? Okay, it's through the gospel. The gospel message is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, good. You got the differences. Okay. Who wants us to experience God's glory? Who wants it? God, right. Okay, this comes through belief in truth. Whose truth? Okay. 
Who needs to believe the truth? We do. <laughs> but when you go through and you see all these things that we talked about, God did this, God did this, God did this, God did this. And when I was studying this passage, I was just I, I, I was just reflecting on all the things that I saw in the passage, and I realized God did all of these things, and all I need to do is believe. He has an amazing plan for us. Will that plan always be easy? No. Will we always, will, 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 will our lives always go really super peaceful? Well, no. No. I don't, I don't know why we, we've come back. The, the last time we came back to the States, Susan's mom was going through breast cancer. And we walked that journey with her through chemo and we saw her come back to health and the cancer was gone. Just as we were getting ready to come back this time, the cancer metastasized into bone cancer. My wife's mother has cancer in all of the bones in her back. They're all, they, they, they could break. At, she has to be careful just in turning every turn because any bone could break at any minute. She's in a great deal of pain. But you know what? She is so happy. She's amazing. She has God's love showing. When the hospice nurses come, they love to come. They always sit down and talk with her for a long time. And they just love to be there. Yesterday, one of them was in tears. <laughs> and it's because Christ's love is shining through her. Is, is everything going to go easy for her in the future? No. She's enduring some pain. She's enduring some great challenges. Will everything go perfectly peaceful in our lives? I wish I could tell you that. But what I can tell you is God has a perfect plan for each one of us. And he loves us and he chose us. And, and the, the plans that he has for you are good, for your good. And he will develop our character and he will develop my character through the challenges that we face that way. And so... I, I say this this morning because I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in, in having that hope, that there is, there is hope, and that that hope comes through God. In closing, I was going to show a video, but I'm not going to show that this morning, but I am going to close with this illustration that, that I heard from John Piper. and He was talking about this airline pilot who was an airline pilot, and he had 15 people in his plane with a co-pilot. And uh, they had taken off, and all of a sudden, as they were in the air, he heard this really strange noise at the back of the plane. And he told his co-pilot, would you take over for a little bit? I'm going to walk back and go check that out. And as, they, as he got right back to the door where he was going to check where the problem was, they hit turbulence. And he went flying up in the air, and when he came down, he hit the door in such a way that the door of the airplane opened up. And now they're, they're, I don't know how far they up there were in the, in the sky, but they're in the middle of the air. And here the pilot goes out of the door and the door shuts. Okay. Well, the co-pilot, he, you know, if I were the co-pilot, I, I would be really panicking. This guy's like, I got to find an airport. The, the, the you know, I'm, I, can you hear him? Uh, pilot tower, pilot tower, just lost the pilot. The, I'm the co-pilot. What, what, what do you say in that situation? So he diverts this, this uh, airport. And, and he lands the plane, and he's very shaken. And when they went out and around to the side of the plane, this is a true story, the pilot 
was about 12 inches. His face was about 12 inches to the ground, and he was holding on to the to the little um, the stairs going into the plane. He was holding on, and literally when they got to him, he was he was holding on so tightly that they had to pry his hands off of the. Yeah, he was so he was probably in shock, <laughs> but they had to pry his hands off of those those stairs. You know, that's that's the kind of rock solid faith that we need to hold on to. We need to hold on to God's hope, his love, his plan for us and how he wants to use us that tightly as we go through life, because otherwise we're going to be shaken. And we're going to doubt God. And we're going to go into a series of decisions that are going to take us away. Because when we have the wrong belief, it brings us to the wrong conclusions. And then we make the wrong decisions. So this morning, I pray that this has been an encouragement to you. And I pray that uh, as you think about and reflect on this passage, that it will bring you back to the hope that we have because of who God is and because of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Lord, we did not choose you, but you chose us. Lord, I believe that you've also chosen our family and many families to go internationally to share the gospel with the nations. And I believe that you've chosen so many people here to share the gospel with their friends and maybe uh, to go to the nations as well or maybe relatives that might live in Korea. But Lord, there's an amazing gospel and you've given us hope and you've given us the ability to share this hope with others. I pray that you would use us in very unique ways, as humble as we are, Lord, that you would empower us and enable us to communicate this amazing gospel to others. But more so, God, I I just pray that if there's an individual or individuals here that is struggling with hope, I don't know what their situation is, God, that you would just encourage them and that you would bring them back to that right belief and that right theology of who you are and that you are a God that can be trusted. Thank you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.